We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Tuesday, September 18th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and coming up on today's show... Normally, on Tuesday, we have Justin Brown from Hill Vets in studio. He's out climbing mountains today, though. That's kind of what he does in his free time. So he's out doing one of those. can't remember which one it was. Uh, Mount Rainier, one of, one of those big mountains that's out there is that he's doing today. What we've got today for you, uh, filling in that Hill Vets segment and the interview segment after it, it's going to be a talk with Brian Talley. He's a Marine Corps veteran who's dealt with some really miserable stuff some really miserable treatment at the VA. And essentially, the VA tried to well, pass the buck onto someone who they hired to be a contractor and say, we're not responsible for all these negative things that have happened to you. Brian Talley is now fighting that on Capitol Hill. He came to Washington, D.C., and he came into our studios to sit down and tell his story. And when you hear about what he went through, man, it's going to make you shake your head And it makes you realize that while most of the medical care going on over at the VA is fantastic and top-notch, there are some significant issues, and then there are the bureaucratic issues which can compound those serious issues that they have. So a wide-ranging interview uh, telling Brian Talley's story is going to air today. But before we get to that, let's get to Super Producer Jake Hughes. Good morning, Jake. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I did not sleep well last night. And the reason is the thunder that was shaking my house, literally shaking my house, woke me up a good three or four times throughout the night. The dog was scared, so jumped up into the bed. My son woke up in the middle of the night and was scared. He jumped into the bed. So we had two full-grown adults, a 70-pound dog and a five-year-old in a queen-size bed. So I imagine, yeah, not a lot of sleep. No, not the most comfortable. Kept waking up. I kept getting kicked by, I I don't even know who. There were three options, and whichever one it was that kept kicking me, (laughs) uh, it was just unpleasant. But yeah, massive uh, storm. Really the remnants of Florence, for the most part, coming through the area. Huge uh, thunderclaps that were literally shaking my house for a good, let's see, first time it woke me up was probably at about 1 a.m., and then the last time it woke me up was at about 3.45 a.m., so for at least two, three hours, there was heavy, loud thunder taking place in our area, but, you know, that's that's just what's going on over there. Of course, that's nothing compared to what they've been dealing with down in the Carolinas. Hurricane Florence, the death toll last I saw was somewhere around 15. I mean, it's been a... Uh, It's just been a rough time down there, and because of the amount of rain that came through and because of the the wet summer that we've had in the Mid-Atlantic already this this season, the ground just couldn't take much more water, so we've had massive flooding down there after the fact. So when you think of a hurricane, you think of, what, the wind and all that stuff and knocking down trees and taking it, and that's that's where you think most of the damage is going to come from, right? Right. Nope. It's the flooding afterwards that's causing the most problems down there. Couple that with the trees that were down, blocking roads, knocked out power for three quarters of a million people, uh, and, and you've just got a recipe for disaster. 
Thankfully, there are disaster response groups that are down there. Of course, we talked to Team Rubicon last week. USAA has their mobile units in the area, which is essentially a USAA office on the go, this self-contained, self-powered thing. Also, if you need a bottle of water or charge your phone or anything, go into the USAA mobile office. They can help you out with that. Our own Phil Briggs spoke to a group called Sheepdog Impact Assistance that's down in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is the place that took basically the direct hit of Hurricane Florence. This is a group of veterans that were headed in the air, headed into the area as the storm came through. Sheepdog Impact Assistance is a national nonprofit that exists to engage, assist, and empower veterans through service opportunities and outdoor adventures. So very similar to what Team Rubicon is doing, maybe not quite as well known as Team Rubicon, but doesn't make what they're doing any less important or any less amazing. So they're down there. It's founded by a Marine Sergeant Major named Lance Nutt. He's uh, retired now and described to Phil how after some dark post-deployment days, he was inspired by a service trip where he assisted victims of Hurricane Katrina, helping others during their greatest time of need, helped me begin healing during my greatest time of need. So really showing how this can be beneficial, not just to uh, the people afflicted by the storms, but to the veterans that take part in these groups like Sheepdog Impact Assistance, Team Rubicon. There are a number of organizations, uh, veteran organizations, that respond to these things. And it seems to be a natural fit for us because we're kind of trained in that, aren't we? Yeah, we know how to deal with very stressful situations. We know how to deal with, you know, on. Uh, what's how am I trying to report this with the uh, undesirable situations given uh, undesirable means to fix it and we kind of tend to overcome that and when you're in these areas where you've got down power lines and things uh, making sure that you're following the, the rules and that you're doing things uh, in a almost a military-like precision manner that's huge so that these groups have that ability and then of course just about all of us, if you deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan or anything like that in particular, you had to go through medical training before that. The Combat Lifesaver course, did you ever go through that yep. one, Jake? Yeah. Do you remember the thing where they put the hose through someone's nose? Yeah, we we had one guy volunteer for that, and it's like, why, what were you thinking? So did we. Uh, a young petty officer, third class, who was then gagging as they put a rubber tube down through his nose and into his throat. Uh, for a little bit of intubation, and we got to uh, practice on him. So, yeah, it was pretty interesting. But th that's another thing that's that's beneficial is that, you know, typically you have, let's say, uh, medics, uh, like EMTs, people like that, doctors. That's what they're trained in. That's what they know to need, know how to do. In this case, you have people with a military background who already have kind of a baseline level of knowledge when it comes to things like first aid, CPR, as well as doing that dirty grunt work, because that's what a lot of this is. I mean, yeah, you've got rescue operations going on, but a lot of it is moving things out of the road, chopping up trees, things like that. And it's something that seems kind of tailor-made for veterans, don't you think? Yeah, because, uh, again, we know how to overcome. We know how to, like you said, we've received that kind of training that allows us to get things done. Yeah, and that's what Sheepdog Impact Assistance is doing down there, and they're going to be doing it for a while. This is not something... Whenever a hurricane makes landfall, whether it's Category 1 to Category 5, it's it's long-term effects that they're dealing with there. And they're going to have to uh, basically fight against the nature is what it is. And if there's more rain coming, and I was looking at the forecast, we've got a couple of sunny days, it looks like, in the near future, maybe tomorrow and the next day. And then the rain is right back in town here. If you already have saturated ground, floods, rivers at, at, at high crest, you've got all this stuff 
Then it starts raining again. That can just compound the difficulty. So it's great that there are so many groups down there, including these veteran groups like Sheepdog Impact Assistance and Team Rubicon and all the others that are down there. Uh, It's really amazing work that they're doing. Uh, Of course, there are veterans in the area who just live there and are affected by it and are not coming into town as part of the uh, the rescue and repair operations, one of which is a 92-year-old World War II veteran named Tom McConnell. According to Fox 46 down in Charlotte, uh, he essentially woke up yesterday morning to discover that a massive oak tree came crashing down on his car and, you know, just just took out his car. 92 years old. This is someone who's probably got medical issues when you get to that point in life, needs to be able to get to appointments, needs to have a way to get to to safety, to get to help and just lost it when that tree went down on his car. Uh, you know, this is a guy who went through hell, World War II. Just about everybody who served during World War II uh, dealt with some seriously, seriously uh, impactful, negative stuff in their life. You know, now at 92 years old, he's got to go through something like this where a giant oak tree crushes his car. I mean, it's just, it's there's nothing you can do about it, but man, it's just, uh, it's unsettling and it's upsetting when you see stuff like this happening, you know? Yeah, it's... <sighs> Yes. <laughs> well, I can't think of anything else to add. Yes, it sucks. Yeah, and it reminds me of, I mean, I, and you never know. I think I told the story last week of when uh, Superstorm Sandy, which wasn't even a hurricane and caused a ton of destruction up in uh, in the New York and New Jersey area as well as up and down the East Coast. My car was parked on the road. I had an SUV at the time, and uh, as the storm was just beginning, my wife said, you know, I, maybe we should move your car into the driveway because it was right underneath two trees in our front yard. I thought to myself, that's a pretty good idea. I mean, yeah, it'll probably be safer over there. It's got, you know, the, the house blocking some of the wind and all that stuff. Move it over there. And then within half an hour, 45 minutes, something like that, hear a big crack outside. And I was like, oh, the tree went down. And of course, it went down onto my car in the driveway. <laughs> Had I left it in the road, it would have been fine. Nothing would have hit it. It's just the way it goes. It's just the luck of the draw. It's just kind of sad that, you know, the luck of the draw affected a 92-year-old World War II veteran who's, uh, you know, in, in, in his golden days and you would hope would just make it through this storm and be okay. But, yeah, natural disasters don't care who you are. They don't care what you've done. Uh, they are what they are, and there's not much that you can do about them. Moving on to some happier stuff. There is a new military discount program, Jake, at a place that many people like to go. In fact, my family's planning a trip later on this year to Disney. Disney Armed Forces Salute ticket discounts are now open to Department of Defense civil service workers and contractors from now until December 15th. Of course, a lot of them, probably a majority of them, are veterans themselves. So this isn't open to all veterans. It's only open to those who are DOD, uh, civil service workers and contractors. But it's still fantastic. You get a four-day park hopper ticket for two hundred and twenty-six, four-day park hopper plus ticket for two hundred and sixty-six, and then they've got five-day tickets for like twenty bucks more than that. Uh, it's it's fantastic that there are discounts like this. But then, when I'm planning a trip, really, my wife is planning it, and I see, ooh, Disney discount. Let me check that out and see what <laughs> I can get off. Oh no, it's not for me. 
Has there ever been a place where you were like disappointed that there wasn't a military or veteran discount? Uh, yeah, Disney. Disney. Everyone, cause everyone loves Disneyland. I mean, come on. Yeah, everybody wants to go there every once in a while. We went. Uh, my grandfather's one hundredth birthday. Uh, he's coming up on his hundred and fourth birthday now, actually. But for his hundredth, the whole family gathered down in Florida. Of course, he's a he's a snowbird. He lives in Florida for the uh, the winter months, not in Connecticut, because. When you're 100 plus years old, you don't want to be living in cold Connecticut in the wintertime. Uh, we went down there and we went to uh, Bush Gardens because we were down near Tampa. We drove up. We went to SeaWorld. Yes, I know. Killer whale. I, yeah, I get it. But SeaWorld also does a lot of great things and rescues a lot of animals and does a lot of good. So we went to Bush Gardens, went to SeaWorld and went to Disney. They were all fun. Disney is just better. They know what they're doing and they are so good at it. And we didn't spend... Because my wife did the prep work and the prep time, we didn't spend much time waiting in lines. Like, you have these bands that you can get and you can put yourself in for speedy, like, not ahead of the line, but like the speed line for a couple of things. It just moved along so smoothly. Even for us having, at the time, what was a a one-year-old, basically, one-and-a-half-year-old, something like that. So, yeah, it was was really, really a great time uh, that we had down there. And if there were a veteran discount, listen, Disney, Jake Hughes and Eric Dame just want you to know, we appreciate everything <laughs> that you do. And we know that you appreciate everything that we've done. So how about we make this not just a discount for the military, but a discount for the veterans out there. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm going to be in, in Orlando next week. Actually, Jake is going to be in the captain's chair on the show Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week as I'm down in uh, Orlando for the military influencer conference. I'm going to be the MC of that event. So if you're going, I look forward to seeing you down there. You know, it'd be nice in my off time if I were able to you know, take a little uh, yeah. trip over there in a veteran discount. Yeah. The, the, the problem is you can't do a day trip to Disney. There's just not That's enough. That's what we did, though. That's what we did when we oh. went down there the last time and still had a great time. We didn't get to see everything and do everything, especially because all we did was the Magic Kingdom. And there is also, uh, they've got their Disney MGM Studios or whatever, the Animal Kingdom and all that stuff. You know, though, as we joke around about uh, pressuring Disney into giving us a discount for being veterans, that's also a thing that's kind of, it's it seems untoward when you hear people complaining about that. Yeah, I, I, I always, to this day, feel weird asking for a military veteran discount. I just, I just, I feel awkward and I feel like I'm taking advantage of something, you know? Yeah, I mean, if they offer it, it's like, that's cool, you know? Like, there's a place called Mission Barbecue. Uh, they've got some places in, I think they're in Virginia and Maryland, a couple other places. And uh, the original one is pretty close to my house. I think it's the first one. They have a veteran parking spot. It's got like a sign there, like parking for veterans only. And one time, we've we've been there a few times, and each time it was full except for one. And I was like, eh, no, no, yeah. I'm just gonna take the regular parking spot. So uh, yeah, asking about it, it's like you know, if they have one and you think they have one, and you ask, I don't feel too bad about that. But I'm not one of these people who gets really irritated and angry when there isn't something. If I ask and they're like, no, I just go like, oh, okay. Or if I look at Disney and I go, ah, it'd be cool if they had a veteran discount, but it's still cool that they don't. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's more people who get upset on our on our behalf that why isn't there a veteran or military discount? Whereas most service members and veterans are like, uh, it's okay if they don't have it. Here's something that I didn't know until I was looking at the story that uh, that Libby did on our site. You can go check out her stories and everybody else's at ConnectingBets.com. 
And of course, follow us on social media where we are at Connecting Bets on all of the big social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, MySpace, Friendster, Napster. Is that still a thing? I don't think so. LimeWire. Lime, yeah, Kazaa or whatever yeah. was that? Yeah, LimeWire, which is basically like, you know, the, the, the internet version of having unprotected sex. Oh, geez, Jake. My God, this is a family show. <laughs> Shades of Green. You ever heard of that? Nope. In regards to Disney? Well, neither had I. But listen to this description. In a secluded area near the Magic Kingdom, sandwiched between the Magnolia and Palm Golf Courses, sits the Shades of Green Resort. Shades of Green was originally built as a deluxe Walt Disney World Resort and was formerly known as the Disney Inn. In February 1994, the Department of Defense leased the resort for exclusive use by retired and active military personnel and their families, as well as members of the National Guard and Reserves and Department of Defense civilians. There is a resort on Disney property that is just for the military and retirees and DOD civilians and all that stuff called Shades of Green. It's pretty crazy, man. I had no idea about that. That's one of those little things that just pops up and you're like, oh, really? That's cool. That seems like something that uh, AFN, hello, why don't you make a spot about that? I know, right? They did do a spot. Do you remember seeing the, the commercials on AFN about the uh, the resort in Hawaii? Yes. That place looked amazing. But then I was like, yeah, but you got to fly out to Hawaii and that's expensive. Even when I was in Guam, you're still incredibly close to Hawaii and uh, are incredibly far from Hawaii, I should say, even though you're kind of close when you look on a map. It's like you're still eight, nine hour flight away or something like that. A pain to get to, but man, that's something that I always wanted to do that. I don't know what it's called, like, oh, 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 something, Ohana, Ohika. Yeah, I I can't remember. I don't remember. But it's cool to see that some of these things are out there. And it's one of those that I kind of wish I knew about when I was in the military. Because this goes back 1994. That's what, 24 years ago, something like that? Uh, Yeah, I think it's exactly 24 years ago, 1994. Um, And you get discounted passes uh, that you can get at the resort. I mean, it's just, it's very, very cool. And had no idea that this thing existed I'm not really seeing too many details on what the place looks like. Let's see if we can Google it and find out because, you know, it's an older resort that Disney made and then DOD leased it, um, which is, it's just cool. And I had no idea about that. So looking at, oh, here we go. Let's look at some photos. Yeah, it looks pretty nice. Looks like a nice hotel. Again, it's on the Disney grounds. You get discounted tickets. Uh, If you're a military member, it's only open to Active military, DOD, uh, retirees, National Guard and reserves. need to get my wife to join like the reserves or National Guard <laughs> or something so that we can go check out places like this. One of those neat little things that, you know, you, you, don't, you know, I would imagine a lot of people don't know about. I certainly didn't. Although I bet the uh, really, really big uh, Disney heads out there, and man, are there some. Oh, yeah. I know people. Adults, no kids, a couple that goes to Disney twice a year. They go in the in the like wintertime just before Christmas and then they go in the middle of the year, like in the beginning of the summer. I got a friend who lives down in Florida that goes like three or four times a year, single, no kids. He just loves Disney. Wow. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. And it is a truly uh, fantastic place. Again, when we went there, I hadn't been to Disney since I was a little kid. My grandparents had been uh, in in Florida for the winter months for quite a long time, as long as I can remember, really. But the last time I went to Disney, I think I was probably like nine, ten years old or something like that. And then we went down uh, during the trip for my grandfather's 100th, and I didn't know what to expect. I kind of thought like, eh, theme park. It's more than a theme park. It's just different. It's just a little bit better 
than every place else. And in some cases, a lot better than every place else. And the fact that they have uh, this new military discount uh, that they've got there, and they've got discounts on Disney cruises for military, um, and then this resort that's down there again, which is just so cool. So cool. And then there are room discounts and stuff like that. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's just interesting. And it's one of those things when you look at the story on Connecting Vets and then you dig a little bit deeper, you found, you find some pretty darn cool stuff. Looking over at the Air Force, this is something that I wanted to ask you about. Because oh, isn't it? It's the Air Force's birthday today, I think. Is it? I think so. Oh. I, I think I saw that on the news today. Well, let's look that up. I, it could be. I don't know. I didn't look at that. I was going to talk about something else, but uh, we'll see if it is. Yeah, 18th of September, 1947, which means this is, what, 71 years, I think, that the Air Force has been in existence. So happy birthday, Air Force. And as a birthday present, they will not be getting warrant officers. Aww. The Air Force has said no, according to Air Force Times, to reviving the warrant officer program, which they haven't had for over 60 years. They've been around for 71 six-sevenths of that. That's good math right there. <laughs> they have not had a warrant officer program, uh, and the new personnel chief, Lieutenant General Brian Kelly, had a question and answer session yesterday and said that re reviving warrant officers would not help solve the service's pilot retention and shortfall crisis and plans to tell Congress that the Air Force will not go that way of bringing uh, the warrant officers back in. That's pretty much what warrant officers do in the army, right? There, there. A lot of them are helicopter pilots. Yeah, mo yeah. Most uh, military pilots are warrant officers. Well, uh, helicopter um, pilots. Well, yeah, yeah. Arm army pilots. Army are, pilots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in in the navy, uh, no warrant officer pilots that I'm aware of. You, those are all officers that go through uh, regular regular old officers. Warrant officers are very odd in the Navy. You don't come across a lot of them. Uh, I actually worked for a very brief period of time with the last warrant officer uh, who worked in broadcasting, although I, I've later heard that he actually wasn't uh, the broadcast rate warrant officer, that we never had that program, or at least not, not any time recently. They are, in the Navy, considered specialists that live in their own weird world where yeah. you know they don't really answer to anybody except for a commander and above essentially I mean, yeah if you're the, not the, the answer to generals and it's like we always make the joke that the the cheat the cw5 is like the unicorn if you see one you'll be blessed that day yeah well I, there was a warrant officer when i was up in uh in rc north in afghanistan with uh oh goodness fourth cab i would guess because i think he was a pilot um who had actually served in vietnam and was still serving in the army in 2010 2011 so you're talking 40 plus years of service. I mean, yeah. they're, they are their own creature, their own odd category that uh, I don't even know if they fully understand exactly yeah. well, what they are. Yeah. Well, it's like once you reach CW5, which is the highest rank for warrant officers, at least in the Army, you are a subject matter expert. You basically wrote the books and you can tell generals, you know, no, sir, we're not doing that. That's wrong. No. We, I don't even think we had fives in the Navy. I think it only went up to four. And again, they were rare. Like on the uh, Frank Cable, my last ship, I think there was one warrant officer on the entire crew which was a crew of like i don't know 800 900 something like that um on the uss saipan we had a few more than that but not a lot there was a bosun's mate warrant officer i remember that which was like that guy was the sailor of all sailors they're just an, an odd category where again they answer to like the unit commander and that's about it it's it's just a weird space in the military with the warrant officers that the Air Force are the only ones who have no part of that. And it would seem 
that it might be helpful, particularly when it comes to helicopters, which again are what warrant officers fly in the Army, that it, it might be a way for them to address the shortfall in pilots, which they say has gotten to crisis levels. But the Air Force is saying, no, eh, we don't think it'll help that. I don't understand how it won't help that. Uh, although the Air Force operates fewer helicopters than I think the uh, the Army and, and Navy do. But yeah, I don't know. It's an well, interesting choice. I, I think that the way this would work is it would make it easier for enlisted personnel to become pilots. And I think they're worried about a drop in quality of pilots. Mm. That's probably what they're worried about. Well, if I were an uh, Army warrant officer, I'd be very insulted by that. <laughs> <laughs> be like, what, Air Force, really? Um, yeah, this is... Uh, uh, very interesting uh, discussion because I know that the pilot issue is significant in all branches. Uh, in the Army, I actually have a buddy who's a warrant officer. He's a Black Hawk pilot. Uh, he was in Afghanistan when I was. We actually met up at Bagram, hadn't seen each other for years. Uh, he, just because of the nature of his service, and he got out for a while and went to college and then came back in. He was in the Marine Corps first and switched to the Army. He is already passed, I think, the 20-year mark uh, from when he originally enlisted, which would have been in like 96 or 7, I think. But because of the gap in service and reserve time and stuff like that, he can't retire for quite a while longer. The Army is offering a lot of re-enlistment and signing bonuses to a lot of pilots. Not to him. They've got him over a barrel because they're like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to not retire? You're going to give away all this 20-plus <laughs> years of service? All right, you're listening to the morning briefing here on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Still to come, we're going to play a two-part interview with Brian Talley, who is a veteran who went through a nightmare at the VA and is trying to work on Congress to get them to change the problem that he says he faced. Morning briefing, back after this. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets Every Day is our slogan, and it's what we do. And I'm going to tell you why we do it. It's because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have put on that uniform. And just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off for that last time. 13 years in the Army for Super Producer JQs, 13 years in the Navy for me, and every other member of our team either has served or is serving. In the case of Kayla Jackson, who is serving in the National Guard and has been called up to deal with the fallout from Hurricane Florence. That's why we're doing what we do, and we ask that you check out what we're doing by visiting ConnectingVets.com as often as you can. And, of course, follow us on social media to be kept abreast of the latest and greatest things going on on the site. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest is a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. We're going to talk to him about his time in the Corps briefly and then move on to what he's doing right now, and that is holding the VA accountable for... Boy, some nightmares that he's had to go through. He is Brian Talley, who joins us now. Brian, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. As I mentioned, United States Marine. Tell me just a little bit about your service, you know, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you were serving in the Corps. I enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1994 uh, from Woodland Park, Colorado. Uh, that's where I uh, went to high school and, 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 and graduated. Uh, and then in 95, I went to boot camp. 
And uh, after boot camp, I was stationed in Camp Lejeune, then I PCS to Okinawa, Japan, and then I PCS for the third time to Camp Pendleton, California, served just under five years, active duty in the Marine Corps. Just under five years with uh, three PCS moves, it sounds like, wrapped in there. I know what that's all about. My 13 years, I think I did seven or eight of them. I mean, it's it's part of military life. Of course, after that nearly five years, military life came to an end for you to some extent. I mean, I know once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. But what do you recall about that time where you finally, you know, that EAOS date came up and you got that last paycheck from the Marine Corps and then bam, you're a civilian again. What do you recall about that time? Well, my daughter had just been born, Alana. She was born in Camp Pendleton at the Naval Hospital there. And uh, we got out, like I said, uh, in the summer of 99. And, you know, it was a pretty tough transition just trying to um, you know, find a job immediately, you know, as I had to provide for my family. And, uh, that didn't take me very long to, to get on my feet and start, start moving forward. And I got into, uh, uh, operating my own company, uh, for, for close to 13 years. And, uh, that's pretty much, you know, it, I mean, when you th- it was a good time. When you think back to the struggles that you faced when you got out, and as you said, a, a bit of a difficult transition, at least at first, what do you think are the things that helped you get through that? What are some recommendations you would make to, to someone who's going through the same thing right now or who may come up against similar issues when they leave the service in the near future? I, I, don't, I don't know. Was it your family? I mean, there, there has to be something when you have difficulty and then all of a sudden yeah. it gets better. Or was it just one day things kind of worked out for you? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a motivator, you know, so I've always been a, a go-getter, a, a driver, uh, somebody that's, you know, scared to death to fail. Hmm. So I've always, you know, put everything on my back, on my shoulders, driven forward. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a type A personality. I like to get things done. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just was, you know, just forward. Sometimes the fear of what's coming for someone who is a high performer and they've been doing something like you were in the Marine Corps for four plus years and then you get out and it's time to do something new. Just that fear alone can be something that causes problems for people, even if they do find success uh, eventually when they get out, don't you think? Sure, sure. You know, you got, you know, a, you know, a lot of us, you know, especially me, you know, deal with anxiety issues and, uh, you know, like I said, you know, the fear of failure. Uh, so you just try to do everything you can to to be the best you can, to lead by example. Uh, and, and like I said, my most important thing is to provide for my family uh, and uh, just be an honorable citizen. We're speaking with Marine Corps veteran Brian Talley about his time in the service and afterwards. And Brian, the reason that you're in Washington, D.C., and the main issue that we're going to talk to you about today has to do with the VA and specifically has to do with a medical issue that you've been dealing with for a little while now. Can you tell us just a little bit about that issue and and where it arose from and when it first uh, started affecting you? Uh, Sure. Um, I've always been, you know, a fairly physically healthy uh, man. Um, And in January of 2016, I uh, started to experience some pretty severe back pain to the point to where I I, I couldn't walk, I I couldn't get out of bed. Um, I had severe night sweating, you know, as if somebody put a hose in my bed. Um, And I, I mean, I I was in just critical, severe pain. Uh, It's almost, 
you can't really explain it. For people who have dealt with back issues, and, and I have, some of which are related to my military service, there's not much worse than back pain because it affects your entire body. I mean, if your back is not working properly, it's basically the structure of your body that's holding everything up. So it, it, it sounds like it rendered you almost unable to do anything. I mean, were you were you essentially bedridden by this injury? Yes, I well, I couldn't, I couldn't even lay in bed. I mean, I was for for days. I was on the bathroom floor, um, just trying to find some relief from the cold, cold tiles. Um, I had a very hard time using the bathroom because I had a urinary hesitancy because I I could I I couldn't. I, I couldn't go to the bathroom because my back, the pain was just so extreme that I, I, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, th- I mean, I felt like I was dying, literally. Um, and that's when my wife decided to take me into the ER. Um, I'm not a guy that goes to the ER for a cough hmm. or a runny nose. Um, I try to avoid the doctor's office like the plague. And when I go to the ER... That means I'm, I'm in need of emergency care. And was it a VA ER that your wife took you to at that time? Yes, yes. Um, I, I went. I went to the VA ER in uh, Loma Linda, California. And at that time, um, I was struggling to even get through the front door. Um, they uh, triaged me. They gave me an X-ray. They diagnosed me with a low back sprain. And gave me a shot of Dilaudid, a shot of Kenalog, a bag of pills. Um, stated that I didn't need to see a doctor because my condition wasn't severe enough. It didn't render a uh, immediate action from a doctor. Um, like I said, the diagnosis of a low back sprain sent me home to rest and informed me to follow up with my primary care physician um, at the VA Murrieta in California. And... Was that what you had to do? I mean, it sounds like you didn't really receive too much medical care. You received some medical uh, uh, devices in the form of pills and shots and things like that. Was it your VA primary care physician that you were first able to uh, to get to look at the in- at this injury and start doing something about it? Well, uh, we were informed to follow up with her um, when we left the ER. For the next two days, my wife would be calling and be on hold for 45 to over an hour, hour and 15 minutes at a time, she tried calling him. I want to say it was documented eight or nine different times um, in that period of, you know, being on hold. <laughs> and we, we could never get through. Um, so she, she was taking care of me um, as we didn't know what was going on. We couldn't get through to the ER. My conditions had gotten worse over the next two days to the point to where, you know, uh, we couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was just in, in, in just debilitating, undescribable pain. And at that point, my wife loaded me up in the car and took me back to the VA ER. And now I'm in a wheelchair getting pushed through the doors of the VA ER the ER is completely packed full of veterans. And at, at that time when we got to the ER, 
um, I, I began to have a panic attack due to the pain and my wife began to cry. She was comforted by other veterans. Uh, we tried to get in immediately to see a doctor. We had to wait some time. Uh, but when we did get in, finally, uh, they yelled at my wife for bringing me back to the ER when they stated to me that I was supposed to follow up with my primary care physician in which we tried everything in our power to do. Um, at that time, they gave me two shots of Dilaudid, which is morphine, um, and another full bag of pills. Uh, I was taking handful, handfuls of pills. My wife had to set her alarm every four hours to feed me pills um, for a very long time. The second ER visit, um, I, I didn't see a doctor. Um, and you know, looking back at it, uh, you know, I should have been admitted, <laughs> uh, and I, and I, and I wish I was, uh, they stated that my condition didn't, didn't render a, a, a blood test, um, or an MRI, um, because of the x-ray showed that everything was normal and everything was fine. From what I understand, despite the VA saying, oh, you don't need an MRI, x-ray shows that everything's fine, of course, that is, even to a non-doctor, ludicrous because why we have MRIs is to see the things that x-rays don't bring up that are going on inside of you. You guys actually went and had your own MRI done, from what I understand, paid for it out of pocket, brought that back to the VA, and then the VA's uh, outlook on what was going on with you changed, didn't it? Yes, sir. About a month later, three weeks later, uh, my wife said, enough is enough. You're... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was already down close to 40 pounds. I was urinating in a bucket. Uh, I, I couldn't uh, get out of a recliner I was in. I ate all three meals um, a day. My wife would bring me up a sandwich and, you know, every now and again, all my pills. And when I needed to, to, to use the bathroom, I would very carefully <laughs> slide out of my chair and kind of straddle over a bucket. And I would just drip into this bucket to try to empty my bladder because it was one. It was very hard to 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 use the bathroom, um, and, and now looking back at it, it was because of you know I had a you know severe back problem that was going on that nobody really knew about. Uh, so when we got the MRI, it showed that we had a bunch of um, st structural problems in my back, which we were scratching our head. We had no idea why you know what why my back was. Uh, failing and uh, the, the MRI that we paid for out of pocket, um, you know, essentially ended up saving my life because it showed that I needed surgery. And when we sent that MRI to the VA two weeks later, I was able to see an orthopedic surgeon who, and now this is in March uh, timeframe. So now I've been dealing with this for over two months and uh, they, uh, scheduled my surgery uh for december i think it was december the 9th um of 2016 which would have been you know nine nine months later and when they do the surgery and this story people can read about it in a, a great story matt sainsing did on connectingvets.com turns out they go in there and they find that your spine is basically crumbling apart it looks as they put it moth-eaten and that you actually had a staph infection of the spine they halted the surgery uh, this is something that again they probably would have found a little bit earlier if they had taken the steps that they should have taken how does that feel when you find out that there's something going on that any one of a number of normal steps <coughs> apologize for this cough wow 
any one of these normal steps that people would have assumed the doctors at the VA would have taken could have saved you a lot of pain and heartache. Yeah, to scoot back a little bit there, um, when, when I was meeting with the orthopedic surgeon or with his uh, assistant back in March of 16 when they scheduled my surgery for December, my wife said, that's unacceptable. We cannot wait nine months to get my husband taken care of because he's dying and we need to get him fixed. There's something going, uh, there's something wrong with him. Um, so uh, Veterans Choice Enrollment uh, approved me uh, to get the surgery done in San Diego at a uh, civilian hospital, Scripps, and um, Dr. Abbottball out of San Diego uh, performed the surgery on April 30th. So now we're about four months into this. They opened me up, and he had a shock on, on the table, on the operating table. He found that my spine had been moth-eaten, and he uh, called in the infectious disease doctor, uh, and they started running a bunch of tests. They re- had to remove some bone, some spinal bone tissue, uh, and uh, they went through. They had to go through my belly. They had to go through my back uh, to get you know, to get all of this moth-eaten, uh, very scarred-type tissue, uh, uh, very, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the words they used, but it was severely infected. And um, at, at that point, they thought I had cancer, so they started um, to test me for everything possible, everything under the sun after my surgery, uh, and a couple of days later in the hospital, I spent a, about a week or so in the hospital and, uh, I had tested positive for a bone eating staph infection that had aggressively attacked my spine and had been eaten away at it for four months, which now explains why I couldn't go to the bathroom. I, I, I couldn't, couldn't walk. I, I, I couldn't do anything. I was completely, uh, just incapacitated. It's a horrifying story, and we're speaking with Brian Talley, Marine Corps veteran, about everything that he's gone through uh, over the last couple of years since he had uh, what started off as, as severe back pain and turned into something uh, much worse and got worse because of what the VA did, or more specifically, didn't do. Some very basic things like blood tests and MRIs. Brian, this whole story is a nightmare scenario. I mean, it's it's what people worry about and what the, when they hear about horror stories from the VA. This is a, a perfect example of that. At what point did you decide I need to do something about this? When you realized that that much of uh, the continuing issues that you had were made worse by the VA's inaction originally. You know, I I have never sued anybody in my life. Um, I, you know, I've always worked hard, provided for my family, did everything on my own. I've never, you know, <laughs> been an ambulance chaser. I've never, you know, looked, yeah, you know, for, you know, for, for ways to sue people. I, I just don't really believe in that. So it took me a long time to really understand what happened to me. Um, and, uh, to, to understand just what the hell happened. Um, and I continued to have severe pain uh, in my spine, and it started going up and through my neck. And I started to have a lot of residual effects from, from the infection um, in my belly that controlled a lot of different things, you know, using the bathroom, you know, 
you know, just everything. <laughs> Uh, do, do, dozens of uh, residual side effects and and and, and new diagnoses that I have. So um, finally, in March of 2017, the VA doctor listened to me and said, "We're going to perform a myelogram on you." And at that point, they stated to me that I had uh, suffered permanent injury uh, uh, due to the spinal infection that kind of ate ate away at my insides. Um, so. Um, at that point, so now we're about 14 months into the a, a initial back pain. So now we're in March of 2017. I'm told that I got permanent injury, and at that point, I file a tort claim. I filed a tort claim for $2,175,000 for neglect, malpractice, causing permanent injury, and nearly death. Now, the VA originally admitted that you would receive substandard care and said, hey, this is this is on us. This is our fault. But then it turns out that there's a law on the books from 70 plus years ago that if the uh, medical provider is an independent contractor, that the VA isn't responsible for it. Turns out that the primary care provider that they sent you to was an independent contractor. And then the VA changed their tune, didn't they? They sure did. Um, about seven months into the process of waiting for the tort claim, um, I was receiving calls from VA attorneys stating to me, and I quote, the VA failed to meet the standard of care. Uh, there, uh, there was a breach uh, in, uh, in liability and that they are looking to settle this case. Uh, it will not be going to federal court uh, because they, they openly admitted it. The VA failed to meet the standard of care. There was a breach, and we are going to be settling your case. Um, they told me that the VA ER was responsible, as well as my primary care physician. When I did see my primary care physician, finally, after that second ER visit back in 2016, she, all she did was agree with the misdiagnosis. She agreed with the original di uh, diagnosis that the ER gave me. And that's all she did. Um, so, uh, so the neglect, the malpractice, um, and, and, and happened by both by both entities, the ER as well as my primary care physician. Um, at month eight, month nine, and month ten, the the VA attorneys were still claiming that that the VA failed to meet the standard of care and they're just waiting on their last and final um, in independent review and medical opinion. And finally, at about 10, 10 and a half month mark of me filing my tort claim, I get a letter in the mail that states that they denied my claim, which nearly gave me a heart attack because at this point I haven't worked. I'm still dealing with crazy pain, uh, residual side effects from this spinal infection. And, uh, and we were fed false hope for, for nearly a year, you know, saying that, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to make you whole again. Um, financially, you're never going to be physically okay again. Uh, but we're going to at least make you whole again. So you can continue to provide for your family and, uh, you know, receive one last lump sum, uh, to manage, you know, throughout the court, the course of my life, you know, I was 38 when I was hurt. I'm 41 right now. 
and uh, you know I haven't worked since January of 2016, and this um, you know this um, uh, financial compensation was you know supposed to you know to take care of my family and I and and, and get us through. This is just again a nightmare scenario, and it's something that you've gone through it. You've now seen this. You've gone through this process. And what I understand now is the reason that you're here and able to be in studio with us in Washington, D.C., is that Brian Talley's current mission is to change this law that the VA essentially was using to say, "Eh, not our fault. No, 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 no. We may have seen you at our ER and totally screwed up there, but this other person who just agreed with what we originally said, that's who's really responsible you're making an effort to change that law now, and you're meeting with lawmakers like Senator Ted Cruz, Representative Brian Mast. What's the process been like so far on trying to make people aware of this this loophole, as it were, that the VA tried to use to, for lack of a better term, screw you over? Yeah, you know, I'm just raising awareness on uh, what's going on so veterans know who is providing for them and who is taking care of them. Uh, more importantly, I'm looking for the VA uh, to openly admit what they did to my family and I, and I'm looking for accountability, and I'm looking for justice, and I'll tell you why. Um, when the VA attorneys first started talking to me, they told me that both the ER and my primary care physicians were responsible for this. Once they found out at that 10-month mark, 10-and-a-half-month mark, once they found out that I had a primary care, that my primary care was an independent contractor, they completely reversed course, threw her under the bus, stated that the ER did everything they could and met the standard of care and blamed everything on the primary care physician. Therefore, fully denying my claim uh, for the FTCA law that was written in 1964, I believe 72 years ago, that states that uh, veterans that are um, that are hurt in VA hospitals by the hands of independent contractors, are uh, they cannot get any settlements uh, for that type of um, you, you know, for the malpractice and for the neglect. Essentially, the VA protects these independent contractors. Now, I live in California where the state statute of limitations are one year. So at the 10 and a half month mark, they, t- they tell me that, that my primary care physician is responsible and I need to sue her in state court. I immediately filed suit in state court. It got thrown out and they said, your statute of limitations are blown. So there's nothing that we can do for you. Um, so the VA was pointing the finger at the primary care. The state was pointing the state and the doctor's, uh, council was pointing the finger at the VA. So here I am in the middle with my family, my four kids, my wife of 20 years. Uh, my health is depleted. I've lost my spine. I've got 12 to 15 other medical uh, uh, diagnoses now that are going to affect me for the rest of my life. And I'm in the, and I'm in the middle and I'm the only guy here that's losing because they, they, they completely put all the blame on the independent contractor. They wiped their hands clean of it, did an about face, and left me just out in the cold, completely slipped through the cracks. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets.
Welcome back to the morning briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. It's our slogan. It's what we're doing. And of course, you can check out ConnectingVets.com, the site itself, to find out how we're doing that with a great variety of content, including videos, audio, articles. We've got it all for you and doing a great job of putting it out there as our team of veterans. And to be kept abreast of exactly what's going on and get the latest stories as they go up, Follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We now return to our interview with Brian Talley, a veteran who has gone through a nightmare scenario over the last few years at the VA and is now trying to ensure that no one else goes through the same thing again. I've spent nearly, you know, almost three years now trying to understand what's gone on and what's happened. Um... I, I went into a very deep state of depression. Um, I completely, I have isolated myself for over a year, year and a half, trying to, you know, you know, the why me's, the you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot of weird questions, and uh, and uh, my family is my rock. They've kept me contained, and they've kept me, um, you know, uh, you know, they, you know, they've loved me, you know, unconditionally, and uh, they they are my rock they're you know we we've been through some pretty tough stuff and you know my rock at home you know it's solid i, I mean it, it, it it's solid my children i live for my children and my wife and they've i've always taken care of them and and they shown that that they have my back and and, and they're taking care of me now and i'm on a mission to change a law that has been dishonoring veterans for the last 72 years. And this law is dangerous and it's reckless because veterans get disapproved of their claims all the time. And the reason why is because we have hundreds, if not thousands across the country, independent contractors that are filling our VA hospitals and we don't know who they are. They wear doctor's coats that say VA on them. They have VA badges, they have VA credentials, they have VA laptops, they, can, they produce VA reports, they have VA business cards, and they are unidentified independent contractors. And not all of them are bad. A lot of them are great doctors. But when malpractice takes place and neglect takes place, veterans need to understand their rights. And we need to know who is caring for us. And in my case, it took me over 10 months for the VA to tell me that an independent contractor was involved in my care, therefore blowing my claim. Well, that information shouldn't take 10 and a half months. That should take two to three weeks, you know, if not a month, 45 days at the most to tell me, Hey, look, Brian, we're very sorry. We want to be accountable on this, but, um, under current law, we cannot pay any compensation. So therefore I'm going to give you a list of instructions on how to properly, get compensated through the state uh, that, that the veteran is currently in uh, to, you know, to get the compensation that, that you deserve for going through, uh, you know, a severe injury, you know, the malpractice or neglect that may be taking place uh, for, uh, for the veterans, you know, that are receiving, you know, you know, poor care. <coughs> you are 
an extreme example of how things can go wrong at the VA when it comes to medical care. But there are a lot of people who are dealing with this, and there are a lot of people who don't know the difference between an independent contractor physician and a VA physician because the way that it's delineated now, well, they have different badges on their uniforms. Well, who's given that information out to the patients? Nobody. If you don't know the VA rules and regulations, you're not going to see that or know that. That's one of the things you're looking to change with the tally bill, as you call it, a proposal which would in part require all physicians at the VA to identify themselves as being independent contractors. How confident are you that you're going to be able to get, uh, you know, Capitol Hill to listen to you and to make these changes that you obviously have good reason to think are, are something that are necessary? I'm very confident in the tally bill. Um, uh, my legislative team and I from across the country have, uh, and my and my brother uh, Scott, uh, one one of my biggest advocates, we've put a pencil to paper and we've just started to highlight uh, parts of the care that we went through and what we, what needs to be done uh, to to fix a broken system and essentially we came up with something called the tally bill um, and you know we've got you know some some examples um, you know of what we would like to see happen uh, we're already having some some very good traction with senators and some congressmen and women uh, here in, in, in DC. Um, after I tell my story to them, they, they just have shock and, and, and disbelief on their face that something like this could actually happen uh, to just, you know, an all American guy, you know, you know, a veteran, uh, you know, a, you know, a husband, a, a father, a uh, somebody who contributes to society, you know, you know, this can just happen to anybody. And, and, uh, you know, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to protect every single veteran in this country from this law. And if I could give you a couple of examples on what we're trying to do here, um, it states that, you know, malpractice and neglect does, you know, causing permanent injury, doesn't happen very often, but when it does and mistakes have been made, it could be catastrophic to one's life if the affected veteran doesn't know the employment status of the provider that he or she is seeing. And knowing how and where to file a malpractice claim is extremely important to the veteran, especially if you're going through a severe case of malpractice and neglect. At that time, veterans can become very vulnerable. <laughs> um, you know, uh, not only from, you know, their years of service, but now all of a sudden you're, you know, you're in a really bad place. You're hurt. You know, you're, you know, you could be going through some pretty serious, you know, severe depression. Your life has changed. You're going through a lot of changes and the VA could really back you into a really bad corner. And, uh, you know, it's your most vulnerable points. And, uh, you know, that's why I believe, you know, we have a lot of veteran suicides in this country, you know, because, mm -hmm. You know, you know, a lot of, you know, veterans, you know, fall through the cracks. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to just simply raise awareness to let lawmakers know that, look, we've got a problem here and we need to fix it. And I've got and I've got ways that we can fix this. And look, I'm not anti-VA. I think the VA does great. I think they do a lot of great stuff. Um, but they all, but they also make a lot of mistakes too. This is a huge, huge, huge government bureaucracy. And I understand that nobody's perfect. 
We all make mistakes, but it's how you take care of those mistakes when they're made. And when you simply just brush things under the rug and you pull the carpet out from somebody's feet and you take away their livelihood, I got a problem with that. And like I said, if it, if it, if it could happen to me, it could happen to every veteran in this country. And every single, every single veteran in this country right now is at risk of having something happen to them and then having the VA come back and state that we can't do anything for you because your provider is an independent contractor. And see what they do. They're smart. They wait. They wait. They carry this stuff out and for, for as long as they can. They carry it out for as long as they can. And then, and then they, they deliver the news to you, you know. Um, and that's just, to me, that's, that's not an honorable thing to do. We've been speaking with Brian Talley. Brian's a Marine Corps veteran and is currently pursuing the Talley Bill, which would be legislation that would address some issues at the VA, as he's been telling us, that he believes uh, could save a lot of people a lot of pain and suffering. It's too late for him. He's already gone through that, and he's still going through it to this day, but working to help others. Brian, if people are interested in finding out more about what you're doing and your work with the Talley Bill, is there a place that they can go to find out more information? Yeah, you know, we actually have a Facebook page. I believe it's Rally for Tally. Um, and I believe we also have a website now that my legislative team has put together, tallyteam.org. And, you know, I, I really appreciate you having me on here. There, you know, uh, this is a very, very, very brief interview. The, there's just a lot of moving parts. You know, this has been going on for nearly three years um, there, there's just so much more to this story. I've got a, I, I literally have a stack of medical documents and, and, uh, co- uh, correspondence between, you know, congressmen and senators. That's, you know, I could stack that from here to California. And, uh, you know, I tell you what, I've got, I've got a little bit of energy and I got a little bit of fight in me left. And, uh, like I said, I'm going to do everything I can to change a 72 year, legal loophole that the VA has been dishonoring veterans for so long on. And and, and like I said, I want to make myself clear that I'm not anti-VA here. Okay. I'm not here to, you know, to, to bash the VA. I'm, I'm here to say that, that they have got a problem and we need to fix it. And the only way to, to get out and, and to fix this is get out ahead of this and to propose to them some changes that are needed so something like this never happens again uh, it it's too hor- it's too horrific to go through a bone-eating staph infection for nearly four months nearly die and pretty much have your livelihood stripped of you to no fault of your uh, you know to to no fault of my own um and, and and then to have everything work against you because of these loopholes that are designed to deflect liability from the VA and put it on the backs of reckless independent contractors. Now, now, not all doctors are reckless, but like I said in my case, if it does happen, you have to have a way to hold yourself accountable. That's why we have insurance in our country. Mm. You know, that's why we have, you know, laws and, and, and regulations. And if civilians are held to this standard, why can't the Department of Veterans Affairs have a standard you know they already said that that the standard of care wasn't met so so really at the end of the day what's going on 
It's a good question. There are a lot of questions here. And Brian Talley, he's trying to find the answers. Thank you so much for your time today, Brian. We really appreciate it. Hey, hey, thanks for, uh, for having me. I appreciate it. We're back now with super producer Jake Hughes in the ConnectingVets.com studios. Jake, when you hear a story like Brian's, guy goes in, has his pain. They don't know what it is. They misdiagnose it. Turns out that it's actually a, a staph infection inside of his spine uh, that has caused him medical problems that he'll be dealing with for, for the rest of his life. That story is horrible enough in and of itself. The VA made a mistake. They clearly seem to have admitted that they made some mistakes with Brian's case. But then they tried to pass the blame onto an independent contractor who they hired. And a law put in place 72 years ago says, hey, if it's an independent contractor who does it. The VA is not responsible, even though that independent contractor is who they chose, who they referred to him and all that. I mean, it's just it's it's incredibly upsetting. It's it's adding insult to injury, quite literally. I do think so. That You're right. And it, it, it bothers me. It disturbs me because, as I've said, I've only had a mainly positive experiences with the VA. I had my one time where my appointment got canceled. They didn't tell me. But for the most part, I am happy with the care I've received at the VA. So to know that these kind of things do happen, and it, it almost points to you know, inherent flaws in the system as far as the bureaucracy is concerned about right. how it, it they, they try to pass the buck and they try to, and they're doing anything they can to avoid responsibility. And that's not the right answer. No, it's not. And the thing about his case is, and why uh, why this why it's called a loophole in this case. And I don't think it's just that uh, particular rule that's on the books uh, is not necessarily in and of itself a bad thing. But when it's utilized in this way, where the VA, the VA Medical Center, diagnosed him. All the primary care physician that was the independent contractor did is agreed with the VA's diagnosis, which it turned out was wrong. They were both wrong here, but the VA essentially is saying, yeah, we're both wrong, but she, in, in this case, the primary care physician, uh, she's the only one financially responsible because she was an independent contractor. That is not cool by any stretch of the imagination because you know what? Did she make a mistake? Yeah, but you were the first ones to make a mistake. And from what Brian said, it sounds like he went in uh, several times before they figured out anything about what was wrong with him. And then when they quote unquote figured it out, they were wrong. And when they went in to finally do operation is when they found what the real issue was. And they stopped the operation because they went in and said, what is going on here? His spine looked like it had been eaten by moths. He had a staph infection in his spine. To this day, no one still knows how he got it, as he was telling us. It's just, it's, it's deeply unsettling, unnerving, upsetting. And it's one of those things where, as you said, you've gotten good care at the VA. It's good until it's not. And in this case, when it was not good, it almost cost him his life. And it's cost him uh, comfort, certainly, to some extent, for the rest of his life. He will be in pain for the rest of his life because of this. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where I believe that this makes me think that we should be able to hold the VA monetarily accountable for this kind of thing. Because, like you said, it's great care until it's not. And in any civilian healthcare system, any civilian hospital, you go to great care until it's not. Once it's not you're you know you deserve some monetary compensation you deserve something right. for your pain and your suffering we should be able to do that for the va well he had to fight for it for years uh, i believe uh, from what i read in the original story that matt sainzing did with him there was a settlement from the va um that again he had to fight just to get them to that point they didn't want to give him anything and that's i mean yeah they got budgetary concerns but when you mess up man you mess up 
That's 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 how it's supposed to work. I wasn't going to say that's how it works because clearly in this case it didn't, at least not initially. And the fact that this guy is now working to try and get uh, a law passed and trying to get a bill through Congress that would change this 72-year-old rule that's on the books still, uh, holding the independent contractors more accountable than the VA as soon as they become part of the equation, it's essentially on them, which isn't fair to those uh, independent contractors, and it's certainly not fair uh, to Brian Talley, most of all. I'm not too concerned about what's fair for an independent contractor or not, but it's not fair for Brian, uh, and it's not it's not cool that he had to go through this, and it, it is cool that he is now working towards trying to make sure that nobody else has to deal with the same issue. It really is, and because to see him do that means that other people are starting to wake up, and maybe he can bring attention to this. And I think the problem comes because the VA isn't like a hospital that is constantly making money. The VA has a budget coming from the government, which says a lot about government health care, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, I mean, I'm, I hope he gets this law passed because this is the kind of thing that we need to be able to hold the VA accountable for. He's uh, had some big meetings while he was in town last week. That's when we spoke to him. Uh, Ted Cruz, he met with the senator. He met with Representative Brian Mast. He, he met with a bunch of important movers and shakers on Capitol Hill. As he told us, you know, he's, he's confident that he's going to get this done and that it's going to work because it's just the right thing to do. And that's really what this is all about. It's about the right thing. It reminds me of uh, Naval Hospital Jacksonville when I was stationed down there. Had a lot of problems with uh, infant mortality rates, uh, kids going in, uh, family. I re- there was one particular story that was national news. Family brought in a child who was sick, and they essentially prescribed like baby Motrin, that kind of thing. And the child ended up dying. It, it had uh, an illness that could have been treated had they properly diagnosed it. Because this was a military hospital, this is Naval Hospital down there, you had to ask permission of the U.S. government to sue them. In this case, the U.S. government gave permission for the lawsuit to go forward. There were just a number of issues down there. There were a few commanding officers who lost their jobs at that hospital in the three years that I was in Jacksonville, uh, and, and as well as a little bit before when I got there and a little bit after I left, which hopefully they've straightened things out there, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't been down there, thankfully. I haven't set foot in a military hospital in quite a long time. But, uh, you know, it, it is one of those things where, you brought it up, and, and it's it's a fair point to bring up here. This is not a political show. We don't discuss things like politics very often, except for all those veterans running for Congress who good on them, and hopefully a bunch of them get in in the elections coming up in November. But when people talk about uh, government health care, like the government being in charge of the health care system, I, I think people who were in the military and who are veterans have a little bit of an understanding of what that might entail. And while it's in theory quite a good idea, in actual practice – uh, there's not much that the government can't mess up, I've yeah, found, over the years. I have a, a good friend of mine who spent uh, three years in Ireland, and he keeps talking to me about how Ireland is so great, and they have this social safety net and all this other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, they also have like a fifth of our population. Oh, less than that. What's the population of Ireland? I think we have cities that have more people than the entire population of Ireland. I want to look up now Ireland population. But yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, it's – Certain things work, like uh, in small groups, and doesn't uh, don't necessarily work. Okay, so we have quite a few cities with a greater population than Ireland does in total. They have a total of 4.7 million people in the entire wow, country. Wow, I think there's more than that in Houston. There are three times as many as that in New York City. 
New York City is three times the size of the population of Ireland. So, you know, when you talk about government health care, it's these horror stories that that people will bring up. And of course, there are those who will say, yeah, but those are the extreme examples. They may be, but they are examples. And this is, I would be willing to wager, this is not the first time something like this has happened. When they found the uh, scalpel inside of the, the patient last year at the VA, that was not the first time that that happened. I can tell you problems that I had in both the DOD healthcare system and the VA healthcare system. I mean, they happened. While yeah. you've had good care, you did have at least one instance where you went for an appointment and were told, uh, what was it, 15 minutes after the appointment yeah. was set to begin, that it had been canceled? Yeah. I mean, that... <laughs> and, and it That's was kind of, we've heard of more than one hospital that had like mold and metal shavings in the air vents and oh yeah of, of dirt of flies and operating rooms and bloody stuff. uh bloody uh uh surgical instruments left yeah. out in the open flies in the operating room that was up in uh was it new hampshire I yeah think? new hampshire yeah new hampshire manchester i think the manchester va uh, i could be wrong about that but it was definitely in new hampshire uh, the Northport va on long island is the oh, one you're talking Lord. about with the vents where they had they had a bunch of crud shooting out of the vents in operating rooms and emergency rooms. That's not good. Again, I've been to that place. The medical care that I received there was fantastic. The other issues, not so fantastic. Waiting for a prescription of a, of an antibiotic because I had an ear infection, that took forever. Again, an appointment that I showed up for. I ended up watching a full two-hour-plus movie on TNT. It was Con Air, I remember, to yeah. this day, watching it and going, huh, that movie is now over, and I still haven't seen my doctor. <laughs> I was here when they, they when Nicolas Cage muttered his first ridiculous line in that movie. It's a ridiculous movie. You know? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's a very, very ridiculous movie. But, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, people, uh, we got to fix what we've got on these much uh, smaller healthcare systems than what they would be on the national level. Show me the DOD healthcare system and VA healthcare systems running smoothly, and then I'll be on board with uh, with government healthcare being done. But until then, eh, I don't really know. But even know. that, like, again, bring up my friend. He made the point of, well, if he took 10% of the defense budget, like, that's what, what, around 80 or so billion dollars. Right now, the VA has 40,000 jobs they can't fully paid for that they can't fill. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, we've also talked to people like, I mean, th this is the kind of story that Concerned Veterans for America talks about all the time uh, as far as, you know, when people say, hey, the health care is great at the VA. It tends to be, but there are also some issues there. And when it comes to the jobs, they, of course, told us that while there are those 40,000 or so openings, uh, and that number stayed fairly steady over the last 10 years or so, 30,000 to 40,000 jobs, or sorry, over the last four years, I should say, in that four-year span, they've actually added 40,000 additional positions. Why are you adding positions if you can't fill all the positions is the question that comes up in a lot of people's minds. Uh, it, it's just, listen, it's not perfect. And again, as we've said here many times, I believe that they are doing uh, at this moment in general, the best that they can, and they're doing pretty good stuff. You have said many times you're happy with the care that you've received at the VA. When I had to go to the emergency room at the VA in Northport, man, they were fantastic. I shattered my toe working at a, a dive shop, dropped an air tank on my toe because I wasn't, yeah, I was supposed to uh, supposed to put it down on the ground and someone was talking to me and I looked at them and didn't look where I was putting it down and I put it down on my bare foot and <laughs> smashed Ugh. up my toe the day before I left for a vacation. Oh, nice. Yeah, vacation where I would go scuba diving and all that stuff down in uh, Vieques Island off the coast of Puerto Rico. Uh, yeah, one of those things where they were fantastic, and they treated me great, and they got me back up and walking, and everything was fantastic, but there are also those times where it's not fantastic. Of course, that's not to say that the civilian medical systems are perfect. Malpractice is happening all the time. There are doctors out there who make mistakes. 
There are doctors out there who shouldn't be doctors. There, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff going on as well. Here's the difference. If Brian Talley had gone through what he went through at a civilian hospital, he would have been paid. He would have gotten uh, not the pain taken away, so it still would have been a horrible situation, a nightmare for him personally, but he at least would have gotten the financial compensation that would have made living life where he's now unable to work and has no source of income he would have gotten a financial settlement and wouldn't have had to go on through the dogfight that he did with the VA on this. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's a nightmare scenario, but it's a true scenario. It's one that happened. What's happened here is you've been listening to The Morning Briefing. Yeah. September 18th, 2018 edition. We'll be back tomorrow. Going to have the American Legion on on Wednesday. We're going to talk about Blue Star families. There's a lot of good stuff coming up the rest of the week. And then, as I mentioned, just to give you a heads up, Jake is going to be running things Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week as I will be out of town emceeing the Military Influencer Conference down in Orlando, Florida. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a fun time over the next uh, week or so. You're going to get to see a variety of interviews as you do each and every day. And, of course, a variety of content is available to you to help you live your best veteran life at ConnectingVets.com and on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. This is The Morning Briefing on behalf of Super Producer Jake Hughes and myself, Eric Dame. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.